0: Thank you, Pastor Lane. Thank you, worship team and tech crew who always do a great job for us. Uh, Well, I'm I'm glad you've had your time to slow down uh, because in a few minutes, I'm going to tell you to get busy, all right? Um, So as I come and and talk to you today, I want to let you know that I'm deeply indebted to uh, Craig Groeschel, to Philip Yancey, and Pete Scazzaro for the things I'm going to say today. And if you find anything helpful in what I have for you today, you can safely bet that it was original to one of them. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that as you have guided the meditations of my heart this week, so also would you guide the words of my mouth this morning for your glory. And that by a miracle of your spirit, you would take every word and transform it in every ear into the message that you have for every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you guys heard of the book, The Five Love Languages? 1992 book by Gary Chapman. Okay, I see lots of nods. So you guys help me out and and, and name name the five love languages for me. The acts of service. Okay, that's important to a couple of people. Okay, gifts, words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch. All right, very good, very good. Okay, well, my favorite biblical number is seven, and so I have seven love languages personally. So I've got I've got those five. Plus, Bible questions. So if you want to be my friend, email me Bible questions, okay? Um, the other, <laughs> this week, I was like, hey, babe, you haven't asked me a Bible question in a long time. She's like, okay, let me, let me think of one. Give me a minute, okay? And then my seventh one is, well, food, okay? So when, when Goodness and I had, had our first date, uh, we're about halfway through dinner, and she goes, do you want some of this? Because I'm not going to eat all this, and I literally said out loud, oh, you and I are going to get along very well. Um, and, and then she kind of sealed the deal one day when she sent me home with some jollof rice that she had made. You know, that was just a few weeks later. And yesterday, my daughter made this amazing breakfast. And after one bite, I said, oh, this is why people with no daughters cry. Okay. I mean, listen, the Bible starts with, with God providing fruit in a garden. Are you, uh-huh. you with me? Okay. And all over the biblical story, we have hospitality and shared meals. At the Exodus, God commands the children of Israel to have a Seder meal. God provides manna to those same freed slaves in the wilderness and then adds some quail to give them some protein. In Psalm 23, King David expresses gratitude by saying to God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, which brings us to the miracle that we're going to explore today. We've been in this series about miracles. The miracle we're talking about today is when Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And I want to look at this miracle with you and point to one challenge from the story and one caution from the story. And as we read what happened, I want to remind you that back then, like for most people in the world today, food consumed a large percentage of household income. If you've looked at prices at the grocery store lately, you know what I'm talking about. Just one more piece of background. This is the only miracle that's described in all four Gospels, and we'll be reading from the Gospel of John, because again, it's in all of them. And John points out that this happened around the time of the Passover, So we should keep in mind the imagery and importance of communion and all that that story points to. Okay? Let's dive in. John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. You do the math in the Bible, in today's money, it's fifteen dollars or $20,000 to feed all these people. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? If I had been there in my own selfish, speak-before-I-think sort of way, I would have said, five loaves and two fish. Well, that's enough for me and Jesus, but what are all y'all going to do? I've always looked at this miracle and I've, I've focused on God's provision. How can we trust God more to provide what we need? And that's okay. I think that lesson is there. But, but lately, that's not the glaring principle I see in the text anymore. Rather, it seems to me that the challenge for us is, is we can either be like Philip to focus on what we don't have like the, in just our, our human resources, or we can focus on what we do have, even if we have doubts, like Andrew. You can focus on the problem, I can't because, or you can focus on the solution, what, I, what can I do with what I have? Let me say it another way. When we are confined to limited, earthly, scarcity-type thinking, we focus on what we don't have. But when we trust in divine provision, the economy of heaven, abundance-type thinking, we focus on what we do have, knowing that our resources plus God's blessing plus our faithfulness are plenty, more than enough to accomplish whatever kingdom purpose God burdens on our heart. But but let's finish the miracle. Verse 10, tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Watch the communion imagery here. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by people who had eaten from the barley loaves. When you and I see human need, The way Jesus saw the 5,000, a need beyond ourselves, human faith plus faithful action, also called obedience, inevitably leads to God's provision. Let me say that again. When we see a human need the way Jesus saw the 5,000, a need beyond ourselves, human faith plus faithful action, obedience, inevitably leads to God's provision. You and your gifts and your passions and your talents and your creativity are so much more than five loaves and two fish. You have everything you need to do, what, to do everything you're called to do. You have everything you need to do what you are supposed to do. Preachers love to say, God guides where he provides. Now, preachers usually say it a lot better than I do. They say it something more like, where God guides, he provides, right? Because preachers love, love to go with that. I wonder if maybe God also provides or, 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 or equips or, or leads us by, by what he withholds. There's another story from the Bible that shows what I'm trying to explain here. It's from Acts chapter 3. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. And, and Peter and John, let me just read it, starting in verse 3 of Acts 3. When a man lame from birth saw Peter and John, he asked them for some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Now, I need somebody to talk back to me here. What did the crippled beggar ask for? He asked for money. What did the crippled beggar need? He needed healing. If Peter had had the ability to give the beggar what he wanted, he might not have given him what he needed. God guided Peter through Peter's lack of money. So let me ask you, where in your life are you focusing on your lack instead of the loaves you do have? Sometimes lack can lead us to lean on the Lord. Say to your neighbor, lack makes us lean. Okay, say it like you think it might possibly be true. Lack makes us lean. Y'all, don't tell me what you can't do. Don't tell me I'm too broke, I'm too broken, I'm too sick, I'm too young, I'm too old. What is the perfect age anyway? Was it like 44 years, eight months, and three days old? Did I miss it and not even know it? You got to stay alive until you die. Don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you're called to do and why it matters. It comes down to a simple choice. Get busy living or get busy dying. You don't have to be perfect because you were chosen for this moment. So that's the challenge I see in the text. But then the tone of the text shifts. I, I, would, love, I would love to leave it here. I, I would love to leave it with, a, come on, you can do it. Take Look at what you have and, and go for it. I'd love for that to be the only message in this text. And you could be like, "Oh man, I feel so I'm, I'm riled up because Pastor David encouraged me." But the fact is, Pastor Lane says I can't preach a 10-minute sermon, so I have to go the rest of the way. I'd love to leave it there because the caution that remains in the story is heavy. It's it's hard. The, the tone here shifts from joy and laughter that comes from eating all you want with your friends and wonder and amazement at God's magnificent multiplication miracle to ungratefulness, confrontation, disappointment, and even sadness. Now it's the next day. The same people who have eaten their fill have tracked Jesus down again. After a day to savor one miracle, they want more. Verse 30 of John 6, they answered, show us a miraculous sign. If you want us to believe in you, what can you do? After all, just making a suggestion here, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed in the wilderness. The scriptures, scriptures say that Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Hint, hint, if you need a suggestion, you could do that free lunch thing again. As Philip Yancey points out, yesterday's miracle is still digesting in their bellies. It's funny, but it's tragic. All the more because isn't that what you and I do? We aren't even finished enjoying what God has done for us when we come back asking for more. Do it again. Do it again. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. I tell you the truth, anyone who has eternal life, yes, I am, anyone who believes has eternal life, yes, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven like the manna. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer you, offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Missing the metaphor. It's all too easy to act confused when we don't get what we want. And here's what happened next. At this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Many of the disciples turned away and deserted him because it's not that Jesus didn't give them what they needed, but as soon as he didn't give them what they wanted, they were ready to turn away, ready to give up. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you going to leave too? Can you hear the sadness in his voice? Simon Peter replied, "Lord, to whom would we go? You gave you have the words that give eternal life." You see, it's easy for you and me to follow Jesus, waiting around for the next miracle, the next healing, the next free lunch or the next promotion. But what are we going to do when he stops? Because let's be honest, when we first come to Jesus, when we first come to faith, we're, we're in it for what we can get, right? Oh, I get, I get to be forgiven, like, like for everything? Like all my sins are behind me, really? Okay, I'm up for that. And then a love that I don't have to earn uh, like to, 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 to just rest in knowing that I'm loved no matter what I ever do, God will still love me. And then God's gonna take care of me and provide for me. Yeah, I'm in. I, 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 I know I've sinned. That's all I gotta do is repent of that and, 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 and move forward from that. Okay, I'm, I'm in. That's, that's the beginning. Frankly, it's kind of greedy and that's okay. That's where we are. But God wants to take us to another level. He wants to take us to a place where where we want him and we trust him and we choose him even when he fails to do what we expect him to do for us. This song that we just sang that said, he won't let us down, that's true, he won't. But that doesn't mean that he'll always do everything we expect. He will will always give us what we need, but he won't always give us what we want. And he, and he and we might have a different version of what those are. So what are you going to do when he doesn't fail to provide for you, doesn't fail to look after you, doesn't fail to love and care for you, but when he stops doing what you expect him to do? What are you going to do when he needs to teach you more about yourself and more about himself than you're ready for? And sometimes he has to do that by withholding the blessing you want to show us who he really is. I met David and Wanda Hall. I think we have a picture of Wanda up here. I met David and Wanda in 2011 um, when the church that he pastored and the parachurch ministry that she worked for were both clients of mine. And I ran into them again in 2014 right after David was diagnosed with late-stage cancer. And in that conversation when Wanda was telling me about that, she, she told me that she and David decided that their greatest prayer was that how they dealt with the cancer and facing death and facing widowhood would set an example of faith for all who looked at their life, including their family and their congregation. And on the fifth anniversary of David's death, Wanda wrote this. I know that God is forever with me. He is my Emmanuel. He never forsakes me and he surrounds me with the fellowship and love of family and friends. I hope I never fail to be grateful. So it's been five years. I still wish for what might have been. I wish he could have experienced the joy of our five grandchildren and see what loving parents Lindsay and Josh have become. I wish he had had many more opportunities to laugh with his brothers and sisters. I wish he could have spent more years in his woodworking shop. I wish I could hear him preach. He was the best. I wish for his presence. Most of all, I wish for that. She continues, I know God understands these longings. He's not aloof or uncaring. He walks with me through this journey, and he gives peace. So today, five years later, even though I miss David every day, I choose to live with hope. I choose to live in contentment and joy. I choose to live with a thankful heart for his provision and care and unfailing love. Great is his faithfulness. Let me tell you the truth. Someday, if you're not in it right now, someday you're gonna hit a wall. You're gonna be in a place where you wanna give up, where you're like, God, if that's how you're gonna treat me, forget it. You're gonna get to a place where you feel like you can't go on anymore. You're going to get to a place where you say, if, if I had known that this is what following God looked like, I might have not signed up at all because this is too hard for me. And it's not fair. So forget it. You're going to be tempted to say that. It seems to me that the biggest test of our faith is not whether we will resist the powerful gravity of the world and its culture, its sin and its systems and its seductiveness, pulling us down into its morass. The biggest test of our faith is not whether we will sacrificially serve God's people and God's world, faithfully give our tithes and offerings to his kingdom purposes, or even whether we will engage in spiritual disciplines. The biggest test of our faith is not whether we will trust God to provide for our needs or heal our bodies or mend our relationships. The biggest test of our faith is not even whether in the face of persecution we will still claim and proclaim him. My beloved friends, the greatest test of your faith and my faith is what we will do when God doesn't live up to our expectations. When he doesn't do what we thought we could count on him for. When the rains come and the winds blow. A bunch of disciples left Jesus because he didn't give them another free lunch. That's baby stuff. What about when that relationship ends or that loved one dies or that job is lost or that bankruptcy or that child runs off to the far country or that diagnosis comes? It's at that point that many disciples turn away and desert him. And Jesus turns And he says, are you going to leave? Are you going to leave me too? Peter said, where would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. You and I know that whatever we have to face, we have hope. Hope that this isn't all there is. We've seen too many saints, too many martyrs, too many Davids and Wandas to entertain, to even entertain giving up. Because we know that God is our deliverance. We know that in the end, the victory is his. Because we we, we have no guarantees of what's gonna happen in this life. I I, I want your life to be all happy and smiles and and, and one promotion to the next and, and one health to the next, but that's just not the way life goes. He doesn't promise us that it's going to be easy. He promises us that he'll be with us. Maybe you're in that place today. Maybe maybe you're at that wall where right now you're seriously considering giving up. And if so, this final minute of our time together is for you. Or maybe you're not in that place right now. And if so, I invite you to decide today in advance that God Himself is enough. No matter what gets taken away from you, you won't leave the only one who has the words of eternal life. So when that day comes, let's have our speech already prepared. Close your eyes and in silence, let this prayer sink into your soul. If you're in the midst of the wind and the rain right now, pray this prayer in your heart as I Say it aloud. And if you're not in it, choose that this is what you'll say when that day comes. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the bank account is empty and the body is broken, though I feel alone and I'm tempted to give up, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. You, O God, you are the bread of life. You are the light of my world. You are my good shepherd. You're my resurrection and my life. You are my way. You are my truth and you are my life. You are the true vine and I flourish when I rest, remain, and abide in you, your love and your promises. I won't leave you. Only you have the words of eternal life. Amen.